Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that is here tonight, and we ask that you would bless our study of your word. We ask that, Lord, you would superintend in our hearts that we may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. And I hack and sneeze a little bit tonight, and just sinuses are. Uh, in full-scale rebellion, but uh, uh, let's go to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and if you need an outline, wave your hand there, Brother Jason has some. Um, This is the second discourse, the second topic. He ends the first one in verse 14 by saying, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And it almost seems like we have a sharp change here, a a difference in direction. It says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also." At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That ye, sorry, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. 
Now, this next passage, uh, as Jesus is preparing to leave the upper room, he is giving the disciples uh, their last instructions. He has just told them to let not their hearts be troubled, to believe in Jesus as they believe in God. The context is still the same. Uh, All of these things are going through their minds and Jesus just keeps, as we might say, loading the cart. I mean, he keeps giving them more and more. And I don't know about you, but many times when I'm doing uh, my Bible reading, it's really easy to stop and just read verses 1, 2, and 3 really slow. But when we get to this passage right here, I and me and I and them and uh, and I'll give you another comforter. We normally tend to pick up the reading speed and we read the words, but unless you stop and really think about them, you're not going to get the full intent of what Jesus is saying here. And uh, this, I, I want to tell you, this was is some of, the richest ground that we're going to cover in this whole thing. Jesus is, again, as we said, he is explaining theological truths that people write libraries about. Here in just sentences, he explains what parts of this that he really wants us to know. The commands here are very simple. Number one, keep my commandments. If you love me, verse 15, keep my commandments. The next one does not come again until verse 27. It says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now that's a command. He's telling you to do that. I mean, we allow our hearts to be troubled. Do you not usually choose what you're going to get upset about? I mean, if they do that one more time, I'm going to... Well, just as you're choosing to let go, uh, and uh, just before you decide to give someone your two cents, remember the economy, you may want to keep it. Amen? Um, the, The simple thing is, yeah, somebody said, I want to give you a piece of my mind. You know, don't you wish you were just sharp enough to return it back? It doesn't look like you have much to spare. You better keep it. Amen. Uh, I mean, there's just a part of me that would like to say that. But praise God, he's allowed me to be just a little slow of wit. And and I uh, normally don't get myself into too much trouble that way. But the simple truth of the matter is we choose. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to choose not to let your heart get troubled. I want you to choose that you're not going to be afraid, that you're not going to let that fear grip your heart. Have you ever met somebody just totally motivated by fear? Uh, Normally, let me explain this to you, normally a person that is of that mindset that has gotten to that point has had some help 
from uh, psychology because there is a branch of psychology that's all about fear and people actually begin, they receive the implant and begin to mimic uh, the instruction that is there and Jesus says, hey, you're not supposed to go there. And then at the end, he gives a command uh, that's just as real as the others. It's arise, let us go hence. Now that command was to the disciples themselves. He, he's not, uh, 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 you know, giving that command that we're supposed to get up and go somewhere because we believe these things. And, but that is the direction of the conversation. And so here... Uh, we we have this, and then let's just hit the theological points. Uh, he deals with the work of the Holy Spirit, the deity of the Holy Spirit, the personage, the working of the Trinity. He deals with the return of Christ. He deals with the limited power of the devil. Uh, some people believe that the devil has... Uh, uh, all this power, and let me tell you something, the devil is very powerful. Don't go playing with the devil. But if you will stop and think about it, who's more powerful than the devil is? Hello? Is God more powerful than the devil? In fact, those two things are not even worthy of being mentioned in the same sentence. God's power is infinitely more. The devil has absolutely no power or authority at all except for what God allows him to have. Amen? But why do we get into so much trouble? Why is the devil so successful in tempting us? Well, if we'll read this passage here, the reason the devil is so successful is because we're not following the Lord Jesus Christ like we should be. It's just that simple. I've often asked people, often asked myself, you know, if Jesus were sitting at the table, would I have those fourths and fifths that I really don't need, but I just want to do it? Could I say no if Jesus were sitting there? To, well, yeah, but he's sitting there inside of us. Why doesn't it work? Well, part of it is right here in this passage, the working of the Holy Spirit of God. We hinder that work. The Holy Spirit has a lot to do. And, of course, as is always the case, uh, what they talk about on TBN is not the work of the Holy Spirit. His work is in a different field and it is not all of those jumping up and down and everything else that's going on. And, and we will see very plainly as we go through this passage that the work of the Holy Spirit in giving you information is limited. I mean, when, when they do their systematic theologies, they just write paragraph after paragraph and they want to sound intelligent in all of this. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm much more of a practical theologian than I am a systematic theologian, meaning I want my theology to change the way I live. I want my theology to be applicable when I see things happening. I want there to be real answers. 
You see, one of the things that people have done over the generations is they have removed the practicality of your Bible knowledge so that you can have all of this knowledge over here and you can understand all things. And, you know, maybe that's what Paul just meant when he said, you speak with the tongues of angels and and know all things and have not charity. Because what did Jesus say in the starting of this discourse? If ye love me, keep my commandments. You know, we have an awful lot that goes on for love today. That isn't love at all. And we're not just talking about lust and, and abuse and misuse and manipulation But what, what we're talking about is we take affection and we say that is love. If I feel affection for you, if I, you know, my favorite is the warm, mushy-gushy feeling inside. Uh, that's not love. Jesus says here is the definition of love. You know, this would rewrite history, would it not? It'll rewrite the history of your life if we'll just grab a hold of this thing here. If ye love me. Now, to whom was Jesus addressing this to? He was addressing it to the eleven. Was he not? Judas had already gone. He was addressing it to individuals that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. None of these men were baptized after Jesus' ascension. They'd already all been baptized. They'd already put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they didn't understand all of the things that were going to happen. So why did Jesus say, if ye love me? Well, who is the most easily deceived person In your life. You are. We deceive ourselves. More. Than anyone else. And many times we don't even know we're doing it. We're just going through the motions. And why do we do that? Because we want to do right. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Amen? Uh, People are seeking. It is the natural inclination of the human heart, saved or unsaved, to do good. Everybody wants to think they're doing good. It is such a select few people living on earth that literally get up in the morning and say, what can I do to destroy other people's lives? Now, I know you think your boss just plans the whole week doing that, but that's not true, and you know that's not true. Sometimes we read all the politics and going on, and we think that these people are just trying to destroy. And let me, let me tell you something. They think they are doing what is best and what is good. They just have a different definition of good. You see, the Bible gives us 
the only true definition of good. And that is God. And Jesus says, listen, if you love me. Now, did the disciples love him? Yes, they did. Peter had just pledged that he would go to the death with the Lord. And Peter meant every word he said. Was he going to fail? Absolutely. But before we're too hard on Peter, how many times have we failed? How many times have we come short? Even after we're saved in serving, how many times do we come short of the service, of the glory that God wants us to have? So the connection here is, Jesus said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. If you believe in me like you believe in God, guess what? That means you love me. If you love me, it's going to change you. You're going to keep my commandments. We've often said, what is the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person? Do saved people gossip on occasion? Uh, Do saved people always tell the truth? No. Do unsaved people gossip and lie? Oh, you betcha. So what's the difference? When the saved person puts their eyes back on Jesus, where do they go? Back to Jesus. When an unsaved person realizes that they have done wrong and hurt another human being, what do they do? I'm sorry. What else can I do? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay? I did wrong. I I didn't mean to. uh, uh, Well, maybe I did. But, I mean, I'm sorry. Where else can an unsaved person go? Isn't that tragic? If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. If you love me, which is the natural result of believing in God, then we're going to keep his commandments. And by the way, how many commandments did Jesus give us? Not very many. And we will find them as we go through this passage. Now, let's come on down here and, and uh, keep moving here. And it says, if ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Now, Jesus said, I'm going to give you another comforter. What is he saying in that that sentence? Number one, he is saying that he has been a comforter to the disciples. How many of you can stop and think of some instances where Jesus has comforted the hearts of the disciples? How about when the ship was full of water and they were about to drown? How about when the father brought the demon-possessed son and the disciples couldn't cast him out and Jesus said, bring him unto me. I mean, some of that 
comforting Jesus gave him had a little bit of rebuke built into it as well, did it not? How is it that you have no faith? You know, sometimes when we mess up, when we don't do things right, we get upset when people remind us. Well, wait a minute. Maybe the Lord wants us to remember just a little bit. So we'll take our eyes off us and put it back on Him where it belongs, where they belong, excuse me. And so Jesus says, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is a natural result. And this is going to be the key. I'm going to pray to God the Father He had just told them, if he asked anything in my name, I'm going to give it to you, but you would never even think to pray this. You see, I'm going away. I have been your comfort these last three and a half years. I am the one who has taught you and guided you and changed you from a bunch of industrious fishermen to a group of men that were literally going to rechart the history of the world. Now that's an amazing thing, is it not? That these 11 men were going to determine so much until 15, 20 years ago, all of the dates in your book were B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Latin for the year of our Lord. Now it is current error and before current error. And I mean, somebody had to really work on that because it's BCE instead of BC and then CE instead of AD. I mean, uh, you know, somebody was just trying to get the Lord out of everything that they possibly could. I wonder how much time Chase a rabbit here. I wonder how much time it took him to think about that. I know that it started appearing in history books the first time I saw it back in the 80s in some secular books, and now it's almost everywhere. And what we need to do is uh, just continue uh, remembering that that doesn't hurt the Lord. Every day is the day that he has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to look to him because I've only got today to love him and keep his commandments. If we get fighting all of these little ancillary battles, I found an article today. They found this most perfectly preserved set of human remains dates back 1.8 million years and you know what they found out that for all practical purposes these human remains that are 1.8 million years old are human and what that does is that shoots a hole right through the middle of multiple semi-humanoid Lines coming out from half ape and half man because this goes back before all that and they're perfectly human. 
other than their brains were a little smaller. It must have been Democrats. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to do that every once in a while? But the simple truth, don't be offended at my humor, but uh, the simple truth is God created one type of human being. And the fossil record proves it, whether evolution wants to admit it or not. Amen? And so let's keep moving on. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. The reward of these commandments is Jesus' prayer for the comforter. Just as Jesus had comforted and kept the disciples, so the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth. Now, he's going to teach us about this Spirit. Now, if you've been reading your Baptist breads, uh, there was some real confusing stuff in the Baptist bread last night about the Holy Spirit. Just, if it sounds confusing, just disregard it. Don't worry about it. Uh, sometimes preachers try to make a point, and, and they don't always do so very well. And, and that was last night. If that keeps up, we'll figure out something else to do for a devotional. Uh, so... But uh, the, Jesus is teaching about the Spirit. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let's stop here, and I can spend the whole night on this one phrase. Let me ask you a question. One of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament is the gift of teaching, is it not? Are there gifted teachers who are unsaved? So where did that gift come from? You see, the Holy Spirit cannot be received by the world. You know, God has made us different enough from one another that there are just some people who have a a mind that is better adept at teaching things than other people do. A gift of the Holy Spirit is something that God gives to a saved person so that they can operate in the church of Jesus Christ and do the bidding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we get that? And so when we take a secular teacher and compare them to a spiritual teacher, or we go and we say, uh, this is one of the reasons why I despise this gift assessment test. You can actually go online and find these things and order them for the church. I, I actually knew a pastor that ordered them for the church and and uh, one of the ladies in the church said, we happened to be there, and she was talking about, well, my gift is teaching, but we don't have any positions for a teacher, so therefore I can't use my gift. Um, excuse me. Did uh, the Holy Spirit wasn't smart enough to figure out that they had enough teachers? Because anybody that would make that statement just has disqualified themselves as a good teacher. Amen? You see, we need people who aren't good teachers, naturally, so that they'll pray and ask God to give the Holy Spirit 
freedom in their life to make them the teacher they ought to be. I mean, I've often said this, and people just don't believe, but you you did not know me when I was 15 years old, and it was a very good thing. Uh, if you'd known me then, you would not want me as your pastor. Uh, I often joke and say my quiet, shy, thumb-sucking ways. That's exactly the way I was when I was 15. I was not a person public speaking, scared me to death. In fact, I was so nervous even just playing my saxophone in front of people that my hands would literally shake like this unless I was holding on to the horn. If I didn't have the neck strap, I'd have dropped it on the floor. I I believe without being prideful in any way that I think I can tell you that the Lord has given me a little ability to teach over the years. That, that I can teach and anything that I, I have today, I want to go on record in saying that was because the Holy Spirit did that work in my life because there was nothing there naturally that would lend itself to being a preacher and a teacher. In fact, I was in the ministry for five pastor of this church five or six years before I could even learn to start raising my voice a little bit in the pulpit. It would scare me when I did it. Uh, I mean, it's it just something that the Lord has done. And now people look at me and say, Pastor, you're making that up. I know you. You just want to use that for... No, I'm not. Some of you remember when Dr. Smith was here in 1990... I mean, 2002, our 10th anniversary... Uh, he said, we never thought shy little Pete Montoro would do anything. Here he is in New York City. That was a direct quote. I remember that from Dr. Smith's sermon. And, uh, uh, and everybody looked around and said, nah, yeah. You see, when he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the world can't receive him. And I'll be the first to admit, there's an awful lot of worldly secular teachers out there. There there are people out there that are preaching falsehood and things uh, that could preach and teach me under the table. But that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is what he does in a saved person's life to enable them to serve God in the local church. You know how many textbooks on systematic theology you would have to read to get that little statement? Let me tell you more than you would care to. You see, the world cannot receive him because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. The world does not know the Holy Spirit The world cannot see him. What goes on in the world goes on in the world. And by the way, let's just stop and uh, attack our Calvinist brethren for a moment here. They, They think that God's grace is prevenient and it determines everything about a person's life and all their decisions are made before they're born. If that were true, then why would Jesus say this about the Holy Spirit? 
You see, the world does their things because God is not interfering in their life. The reason you get miserable when you sin is because God is interfering in your life. Amen? And if God's not interfering in your life, read Hebrews chapter 12, you don't have the Holy Spirit. No matter how warm and ushigushy you feel inside when you walk past church. Because that phrase, if you love me, keep my commandments, actually means something. It means that God wants to work, and if we have a relationship with Him, it's going to change what we do. He says, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Now, how do we know uh, Jesus is saying this to the disciples, and they have just asked Him, uh, Lord, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Remember that? And then Philip says, show us the Father and it sufficeth us or it'll satisfy us. And Jesus is saying, listen, you know the Holy Spirit of God. Do you think we're inferring too much that the reason he said they knew the Holy Spirit of God is because he was standing there in front of them? Because what he's going to do in these verses that we often skip over is he is going to interchangeably use I and the Father and the Comforter. He is going to interchange the terms. Now, if you interchange terms, what you are implying is that they are equal. Amen? That they are the same. We have different words that say the same thing. Jesus said, I'm going to pray the Father and he's going to send you the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. All three of those terms are talking about the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus is using them. And then he he says that I'm going to leave you. Let's, Let's look here. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, verse 17 Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, what did he say? I will come to you, but I'm not coming. It's the Holy Spirit that's coming. But it's me that's coming. But my Father is greater than me. You say, Pastor, that's confusing. Only if you want it to be. You see, God set things up in order and he's trying to show us. He's trying to give us just a little glimpse of his greatness. Amen? God is great. God is good. And we better do more than thank him for our food. Amen? How many of you remember that little prayer that you were taught as a child? Listen. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive him. Now, here's a scope and sequence statement. This is going to straighten out an awful lot of theology. For he dwelleth with you. Why did Jesus say he dwells with you? Because Jesus was dwelling with them. Amen? And shall be in you. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament age. If you want to know what the gift of the Holy Spirit is, it is the permanent indwelling 
of the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you remember Psalm 51? David was praying to God and asking forgiveness for his great sin with adultery and murder. And he said, take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Why would David pray that? Because it had happened to Saul. In the second year of Saul's 40-year reign, God took his spirit from him. And who was sent in to help Saul's troubled mind? Little David playing his harp. I got a call today from a preacher. We'd sent out some notices about the meeting coming up. And he said, doesn't it say on your website that you have contemporary service? And I said, brother, I think you're looking at the wrong website. I said, because ours doesn't say that. I said, we are not contemporary. Oh, good. I just wanted to make sure. And, uh, you know, people misread a lot of things. But Jesus said, listen, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You know him. He dwelleth with you. He's going to be in you. But that can't happen yet. You see, that's what he's referring to when he gets down here to verse 28. Ye have heard now that I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye would rejoice because I said I go uh, unto the Father, for my Father is greater than all. He's saying, I'm going to the Father so I can send you the Holy Spirit. If you understood these things, you wouldn't be sad that I'm going away, you would rejoice. And boy, isn't... How many times have we gotten upset about things only to get the Holy Spirit turning us around and saying, you know what? God was really using that awful thing to be a blessing to me. Have you ever had that happen? Jesus is outlining all of these things already to his disciples. He wants them to understand and to live these things because it's going to get rough. Now, yet a little while, verse 19, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. How many of you believe that Jesus has risen again from the dead? Amen. That is the hope of eternal life. There is no greater hope that you can have in this life. When everything else fails, remember that Jesus has saved you from this life. And by the way, eternity is just a little bit longer than the time you spent here on earth. Amen. In fact, it is so long that the time we spend here on earth is going to be completely wiped out of our minds. All we're going to remember is that which brings glory to Christ. Amen. Some of us will have quite a long list of things. Others, it's just going to be an infomercial. Whoop. But God is going to get glory out of every person's life because he saved them. Amen. And he has given them this comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. He that hath my commandments. Oops, I'm sorry. Verse 20. 
I'm trying to be careful here. Verse 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He's saying, yet a little while, the world's not going to see me, but you're going to see me because I live, you're going to live also. Then you're going to understand that I'm in the Father, the Father in me, and I in you. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit of Almighty God lives in us. Jesus is explaining this to his disciples in a very few moments. But many of these men, John was going to live another 60 or so years. He was going to have time to think and meditate and understand these things completely. Jesus was giving them a summary. And we're going to have to stop right here. Um, just because of time constraints. But I want us to get a hold of this thing. What goes on in the world goes on because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. What goes on at Open Door Bible Baptist Church ought to go on because we have the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? I've often heard preachers preach, well, man, you have a talent for this. You ought to use your talents for God. I'll tell you what I would rather have is somebody who's willing to let God make them talented for his service. Not that, uh, you know, we get calls all the time. Music students are looking for places to practice. They would love to play uh, for our services. We don't want that kind of player, even if they're better. Because we want somebody who's got a heart for what's going on here. Right. We want somebody whom the Holy Spirit will give the gift of playing the piano for so it can be done from the heart, not as an exercise to show people how great an instrumentalist I am. Yes, singing. We, we want people to sing who are members of our church. Amen. Because they're the best singers in the world? No. But because their heart is here and when they sing... It's the Holy Spirit of God giving them the ability. And that blesses my heart a whole lot more than just hearing some fabulous voice belt out over the top of the crowd. Amen. You see, the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. And so when they do fantastic and good things, that's human nature and that's human ability. And it's okay. We're not against the world doing nice things. Amen? But when something goes on in the church, we don't want it to be because of your talent and your ability. We want it to be because the Holy Spirit of God is living in you and comforting you and giving you the ability to do those things that the Lord has commanded. The key to obedience. If you've ever gotten to a point where you started missing church, what's the first thing you noticed? 
just didn't feel very spiritual anymore. You know why? You were cutting yourself off from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is surrender to come to church. But it's His plan. And what we need to do is just simply be obedient to Him. If you had some fancy person visit your home, you'd want to sweep it up and clean it up and make sure that it was just the way it ought to be. Isn't that true? Well, when's the last time you took some time to sweep up the inside, polish the brass, so to say, and do some special things to make his home a little more comfortable to him? Do you think that might be keeping my commandments? And all God's people say Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, not a one of us in this auditorium is without great need of improvement in this area. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us the humility, the ability to see the love that we need that would cause us to keep your commandments that would bring us into direct obedience to your words so that you could bless us and comfort us in the ways that you would. Lord, help us to see how much comfort we miss out on and we cut ourselves off from simply because we're not loving you the way we should. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would have freedom to make the connections that need to be made here in this passage. And Lord, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in hearts and lives tonight. In these few moments that would change the way we think and the way we surrender and the way we walk during the coming week. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.